Welcome to Sidewalk Talk. I'm Steve Fortunato. If you had a chance to make millions of dollars because of your name, would you do it? If you had a golden opportunity to run and more than likely win a congressional seat representing your home district, would you do that? A Western New York native had both of those opportunities, and he has said no to both. He's an American hero. He's a deep thinker. And right now, his goal is to help people the best he can, in particular those suffering with mental illness. His story is truly inspirational, and he is our guest on this episode of Sidewalk Talk. I'm joined by Army Staff Sergeant David Bellavia, a Western New York native from Lindenville, Orleans County. He's a highly decorated war veteran, Iraq War. In fact, he's the only living Iraq War veteran to receive the Medal of Honor. He was awarded the Medal of Honor last year for his actions during the Second Battle of Fallujah in 2020. 2004, uh, it basically uh, saved his entire squad. Wrote a book called House to House. Highly advise anyone, everyone, no kids, not yet, to, to read this book. It details his experiences. He's still working for the Army. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, Staff Sergeant uh, Bellavia, thank you for, for joining us. Um, really, thank you uh, for what you have done and what you continue to do. Uh, your service is impressive, to say the least, but also um, sacrifices you made and, and, and your family made. So, so thank you for everything that you do. I appreciate that, Steve. Thank you for having me on. So, all right. So right now, you're a, a civilian assistant to the Secretary of the Army, but you're also you're obviously a veteran advocate. You're a WBEN radio talk show host. You ran for Congress a few years ago, didn't get that seat, had a chance recently to take NY27. You said, nah. You're a married father of three. You're a busy guy. What is it that you're doing now? You're obviously, you're in your home. Right. You know, I, I mean, I've, I've got uh, a lot of uh, different things that, um, you know, uh, that interest me. I'm, I'm traveling all over the place. Before, obviously, COVID, you know, just hit the entire country. You know, I was, I was on the road 28 days uh, a month, um, just not only doing things for the Army, but also you know, just talking to people, uh, getting out there, working um, uh, out in Los Angeles and Texas and, and Florida, you name it. Uh, and, and I have other business interests as well. And, and uh, just trying to, you know, get as, as many things done as possible. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, I think we've all had probably the most extended vacation we've ever experienced mm -hmm. in our life here in the last couple of months. But, you know, staying busy is, uh, is a challenge now. And I'm just eager, I think, like so many other Americans, just to get out there and, and get back to normal. What is it, as the sec assistant to the Secretary of the Army, what, what duties are you, or do you perform now? You know, a lot of it has to do with uh, representing not only the Medal of Honor, but also the different, uh, we have what's called training doctrine. It's a, a department in the Army that does all the training, from basic training to ranger school to everything else. Uh, you get a lot of parents, um, recruiting is included in, in that as well. Most of these young people, you know, not a lot of people have experiences that are, are positive about the army when you talk about the 70s and the 80s uh, post-vietnam even during the vietnam war this was a, 
a tough time. You're, you're basically called against your will and, and you're drafted, you're, you go to serve. So those stories over time, you know, people think, what, what does the Army offer me? What, what are the opportunities that are out there? What I get a chance to do is, is talk to moms and dads and young people in high school and folks that are going through, you know, uh, these academies and just saying, if you really want to better your community, if, if you want to, you know, be a, a better individual in your community, this is a great opportunity to do it. It offers people a lot of opportunities that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And so recruiting is, is about 95% of what I do. I, I get out there and I just, you know, share what I went through, how I feel that I'm better because of my military service and how, you know, so many of my friends are, are also doing the same. Same. We're, we're better employees. We're better fathers and, and, and uh, members of the community because, you know, we found something that was more important than ourselves. And really, that is the essence of what it is to be alive, is, is to serve others. And we're seeing it every day right now with COVID. So many people out there doing things for other people. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. You're, you're better for, for your, you're a better person because of your service. And it's, that is a strong statement. And, and uh, you've, you've, you have said that over and over again. It is uh, mind boggling to me that I, I, you know, after reading your book, I, I don't know if I could be a functioning human being uh, after going through the things that you and your men went through, I, you know, and how, how are you able to, to move forward? How, how, what, how, what gives you, uh, you had the guts to do what you did, which is, I mean, you were prepared to die. I would assume you didn't know what was going to happen. You went through this, but now you have the guts to move forward. How are you doing that? Well, I got to tell you, you got to meet these men uh, because I, I think if you met them, you, you would understand uh, crystal clear uh, how special they are. Um, yeah, when I joined the army, I was, I was much older. I, I had gone through college. I had had, uh, you know, I was married. I had a child. I was in a completely different cycle of life than a lot of these young 18 and 19 year old um, men were. And so I, I considered that relationship not to just be a squad leader who's responsible for, for getting them into a fight and getting them home, but more of, of a surrogate father. Because, uh, uh, you know, I, I really loved these guys. I cared about them. It wasn't just what we did in combat. It was what we did when we came home and, and, and what, you know, contribution these guys um, were, were going to play in, in our society. And you know, I'm more proud. What they did under fire, I mean, is is a part of history now. And it's not just my actions, but the actions of our entire team that literally changed the, the, the scope of a, of a major, probably the biggest urban firefight American soldiers have ever been. And, and yet, look at what these guys are doing in their hometowns. Look at what they're doing in their communities. Look what kind of people they are. Um, they, they, I didn't play any role in that. I just I just told them where left and right was. And, uh, but they, they taught me a tremendous amount and, you know, my battalion, the loss that we took, you know, it's one thing to say, you know, you need to know your job two levels up uh, because you never know when things can happen. And, and that's pretty much what we, we train across the military in all the branches. But when you're actually losing people and you take, you know, a young ROTC Lieutenant, fresh out of college at 23 years of age. And now he's not only just running a platoon of 30 people, he's running an entire company because the people that were in front of him have lost their lives. It's really hard not to respond 
when you see everyone else doing what they're supposed to do. It's, I, I tell people all the time that, you know, peer pressure, we talk about it always in negative terms. I, I, I got drunk because my friends made me, you know, tempted me. I, I, I smoked a cigarette because my friends pressured me into doing it. Peer pressure also works the opposite way. If you have quality people that you surround yourself with, you're the odd man out if you're not doing what everyone else is doing. And good quality people are always going to be, their true north is, is, is locked in. And it's so easy to do the right thing when you're surrounded by people that are just constantly looking out for each other and are, and are focused on, on you know, doing the honorable thing. It, it's pretty easy to fall in line. I describe your book. Uh, to whomever will listen to me as uh, it's the, it's saving private Ryan uh, in the book form. Um, what I mean by that, I mean, saving private Ryan was, uh, was a wake up call to a lot of people about what happens in war. And I feel like your book even added to that and actually included the sense of smell uh, that has stuck with me. Um, the smells that you described, the scenes that you described, and the, the things that you went through. Uh, you're a good writer. You know, you, you, have a lot, you have a large skill set. You can talk. You can write. I'm going to get to your, uh, I mean, what you, I assume you wrote your, when you had the Medal of Honor, you won the Medal of Honor, and your speech was unbelievable. Um, so so uh, your, your book itself, though, it is so descriptive um did you did you have intent was that your intent to to so it's not like a video game it's real world stuff well that yeah exactly so i had really no intention to write a book at all um you know the, this story was being written there were people that were getting book deals based on the battle of fallujah and for whatever reason they they chose this story to be you know the story of the battle of fallujah and you know I was an army infantryman in the first infantry division. I, this was a Marine Corps led effort. And so it was rubbing a lot of Marines the wrong way that were focusing on an army soldier when 90% of the fighting was, was Marine Corps led. But the version that some of these outside historians were telling was so superhuman. It was so over the top. And it, and it implied that, you know, you walk into a, a, a street and you're just Thor and these things happen and America goes marching on. And I, and I got the sense that it cheapens, you know, when, when we cheapen our, uh, our enemy and we talk about our enemy just being a bunch of hayseeds that don't know what they're doing. Well, how did I lose my son to that, you know, person that didn't know what he was doing? Why did my friends die if, if, if these guys, you know, weren't well rehearsed and, and, and and worthy of respect on the battlefield. So I wanted everyone to know that we were fighting against the global all-star team of Islamic, uh, you know, extremism. And, and these were people that cut their teeth in Chechnya. Uh, we were taking passports off people in Fallujah from the Philippines, from Italy. Um, we had, uh, you know, Dearborn, Michigan, uh, folks from the United States were deciding to go to Iraq to fight against American soldiers. It, it was truly just a, a, a once in a lifetime experience when you can really boil everything down. Um, sailors and soldiers have, you know, we're all proud of our branch of service, but in that fight, it was sailors and soldiers and airmen 
and uh, members of the Coast Guard and members of the Marine Corps and Special Forces and SEALs. It was my generation's Normandy Beach. That's, that's what we went through. And, and I wanted to make sure that people understood that, that you, you talked about the, the sense of smell. And it's really the only sense you have left because your ears are shot from just constant, you know, when you exchange gunfire in a confined space, your ears are gone. I mean, that you're, you don't last 30 seconds. You can't hear anything. Uh, your eyes are, are completely unreliable because you're exhausted and you're tired. Um, you know, when you, when you start to um, go through, uh, you know, Fallujah was left alone for, for about six months. Uh, it was almost like the old medieval castles where you're catapulting, you know, a horse over the wall. We, we locked these guys in. The civilian population was, was told to leave. And if you were going to stay in Fallujah, you were there to fight to the death. And, and you know, a handful, thousand, you know, uh, extremists decided to do that. But we bombarded them and bombed them. And, and, and if we were presented with an opportunity to take a terrorist out, we took it. And those guys, they dropped right there and they stayed there. And there's a lot of bacteria and a lot of disease that's around an urban, a city the size of Tampa Bay, Florida, that has, you know, five to 6,000 bodies in it. You're going to get sick. And you don't anticipate the, the, the virus, the, the temperature, the sore throat, the strep infections. All of those things are, are now happening while you're still going house to house, door to door, and, and clearing, um, you know, so, so smell is really the one, the one sense that you can rely on the most. And you can, you can go into a home and you can smell that a person's lived there and you can smell the plaque and, and the bacteria and its breath and, and the body odor. And it, it literally, it causes you just to, you know, go into a sense of evaluating the most animalistic, you know, the most basic threat. Is this thing going to hurt me? And can I get to it before it hurts my friends and hurts me? And once you start evaluating that, it's, it's, it's actually the easiest sort of, I mean, it's much more difficult to secure a bad guy when the civilian population is there. You have to be careful that you're not hurting innocent people and destroying property. When everyone's gone, it's like Old Testament, and it, it's, it's a much easier way to fight. It's a very basic, primal way to fight, and that close-quarter battle is a, is a really grisly way to, to do combat. We think, well, we have laser-guided bombs and night vision. We don't need to do this stuff like they did in the old days. Well, combat's combat, and when we send our men and women to fight, we have to be aware of what's going to happen when, when the fight is over because a lot of these guys are still having trouble processing that close quarter extreme uh, violence. Yeah, it's always bothered me that um, when, when we, oh, we'll just, we'll just go, it's another, we're having a conflict, we're doing this, and, and I think a lot of people, that's why I appreciate the book so much, is people, it's, you know, don't think of it as, well, these are, these are humans, these are people that are, this is, you know, war is hell, right? Um, can you, I know you've probably done this a million times, uh, if you can take us back to, I think it's November of of 04 in that second uh, battle at Fallujah. And you talked about, yeah, not just laser guided missiles. Um, you were in a tough spot. You were in a tough spot and, uh, and you had to, uh, you had to do some things that I don't know if a lot of people could do it. And uh, odds were, were against you. I mean, you, you literally had to go hand to hand your life for his and, and you won. 
You know, uh, I don't know how, you know, these are, a lot of these Valor Awards come from, you know, maybe poor situational awareness, really not knowing where you are, uh, what the, what the whole, you know, I mean, one of the things that um, just had happened, we, we lost our Sergeant Major and, you know, to civilians, I explain it like the, the principal of your high school, you know, your, your, your platoon sergeant is the teacher of your classroom. Um, but that principal is, you know, you're always talking to the principal and you're always seeing that, that authority position. They're, they're, you know, your empathy. They're, they're there to instruct you and love you and take care of you. But it's not always, you know, warm and fuzzy. Sometimes you get some hard lessons and that's what, you know, what leaders have to do. Uh, but he was our father figure and he was the most experienced the most grizzled, the, the guy who had been everywhere. And if he told you we could do it, you know you could do it. Sergeant Major Stephen Falkenberg was the first American to lose his life in the city of Fallujah. He was killed right at the breach. And when that happens, every single leader looks at each other and says, I mean, if this could happen to him, we have no shot. I mean, you know, we were expecting to lose about 30% of our guys just getting into the city, just to hold a foothold. Um, think of it just like the Normandy beach. You're, you're entering a city. You've got one force that's going in just to, to just hold down the ground so that you could open a lane for everyone else to pour through and, and, and go at this city. Uh, and so, you know, we knew that there was going to be loss of life. What we didn't expect was the leaders were the ones that were going to ultimately lose their life. And the extreme, uh, the, the close quarter nature of the fight makes it so more emotionally debilitating because you you know we're used to fighting ghosts a bomb goes off you take a, a sniper round you never see the enemy who did that how, how do i get them i just want to i would pray every night to just give me the opportunity to to see the people that are hurting us so that we could take them out and and you know but i need to i need to see the face of these guys that are causing this damage and in fallujah we got that that answered prayer every day because you're you're making eye contact with them you're you're in the in the house you see exactly what it is it's just do you have the ability to to push through and and it's it's so much of it is is uh emotional um a psychological uh domination of a room you know uh a lot of those lessons we learned in the pacific campaign and so many of the of the lessons of waste city and and uh, the island hopping, you know, the enemy thought Americans are spoiled and entitled. They're not going to want to fight like this. They're not going to want to get dirty. They're not going to get, you know, they're not going to make eye contact with us. And, and that's essentially what they force you to do. Uh, and it's a matter of just kind of pushing through. So in this circumstance, there were six to eight bad guys in a, in a group of homes. And we had isolated those homes. And, uh, you know, one of a Western New York native, a kid who I, I grew to love, we talk about the bills, we talk about all that stuff. J.C. Madison was from Celeron, New York, right outside of Jamestown. Uh, you know, the way he lost his life was one of the most incredible acts of valor. He, he saw the man who, who took him out. He had every opportunity to get down in that hatch. He had every opportunity to, to just get low and, and, and then fight another day. Uh, but that, that guy, if, if he didn't take out that guy, J.C. Madison knew that that guy was going to hurt more of us. Um, the entire fight started 
with uh, J.C. Madison losing his life and our executive officer at Iwan, uh, Lieutenant Iwan losing their life. And so once, um, once that becomes personal like that, everything changes. It's, not, it's no longer about what is the probability. It's if these guys hurt ours, we're going we're gonna to try to you know, give it back to them. This fight's got to end. And you know, the other thing is that I think we became accustomed in Iraq after a while to, you know, if the bad guy stops shooting, we won. You know, we get to come home and have chow, and that's a good day. And then slowly but surely you realize if you're not stopping them, they're going to do this every single day and they're going to hurt someone and they're going to fight someone that doesn't have the ability to fight back. And so if you have the opportunity to, to stop someone who wants to hurt innocent people, you have to do everything in your ability to make sure that you can pacify that threat. You can't just wait for them to run away and just hope that they don't come back. And in this case, if those guys would have got loose in that city, who knows how many more they would have taken out. We have them fixed. It's just a matter of, of you know, doing our thing. And, and uh, you know, that's pretty much why we're all here now. And that's what drove you on that particular evening. Uh, it was nighttime, I know, because you described it. You couldn't see anything either. Uh, in Fallujah, November of 04, I mean, you guys were ambushed. You were ambushed and you were in, in the tough spot. You, yeah, and, you know, right? I, I remember... I remember waking up that day was my birthday and um, I was just thinking, you know, all day I thought, I just don't want to die today. Like if anything is going to happen, I, I was, as a kid, I would, I'd walk through a cemetery and I'd see born and died on the same day. And I always thought like how horrible that has to be for a family member that you can't even celebrate a birthday because it's also the day you lost them. And if I could do whatever I could for my mother, for my family, I would just make it to midnight and just throw a different date on that, on that tombstone because I, I, I just don't want to put them through that uh, amount of trauma. And, uh, and I got almost all the way through the night. And then right at the end, uh, this whole thing cooked off and I thought, you know, th this is, uh, is going to be a bad one. But, you know, um, honestly, I, you don't know how to describe it. it it's really luck. It, it, you know, how do you, you know, when, when you lose guys that are shot at with a belt-fed machine gun, and then you're standing there and, and someone's firing 200, 400 rounds at you, and, and they're not hitting you or they're winging you, and, you know, it's not skill. It's not, I'm braver, I'm tougher, I'm, it's, it's luck. And if you, if you realize that, hey, I don't control anything. I can only control what's in front of me. And I, I have to knock the targets down that are in front of me, and I have to make sure that my guys know that when I tell them something, I'm going to do it. I'm never, ever going to let them do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And if I tell them it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. And follow me is, a, you know, that means stay behind me because I'm, I'm going forward and you're going to, you're going to follow me and we're going to do this shoulder to shoulder. And I just had great, great men that, uh, you know, we did everything together. And, uh, you know, that night included, we did it all together. So it was a special, special time. Well, you're, you're obviously, you're being humble. That's you. And um, I'm not going to ask you to, to get into to detail anymore. It, if, but I do advise anyone to, uh, to check out the book uh, to, to really understand the detail. I mean, you did go in, you, it was you against a lot of people um, and you had to, you had to do what you had to do and you took them out um, and you obviously saved yourself, but you saved your men too. And that, that's why you're deserving uh, 
of the Medal of Honor. And, and, and when you received that Medal of Honor, I thought the coolest thing, uh, your, your men went up there with you. I don't know if that's ever happened before, but that was no, pretty cool. That's never happened. And, and uh, not that I, not that I want to go to the White House and you know, set precedent. I'm not really looking to do things there that have never been done before, but that was really special. And the fact that, you know, Western New York, my hometown, went out of their way. They started to build fund me. They, they gave money to these strangers just because I loved them. They, you know, were able to pay for, for all their travel. I mean, most of these guys, I had people traveling from India. You know, they, they, these were active duty soldiers. The army is not just going to pay for them to go to the White House. And then some of these guys, you know, they, 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 we were stationed in Germany. That's, that's where our home was. Uh, we were forward deployed in Germany. So these, some of these guys met, you know, German women and, and started families there and they now live in Germany. So it's, it's like, we're never going to see these guys because of their civilians and they have a family now, but they flew from Germany to come to DC. And it was, it was because of, of the kindness of so many of, of uh, Western New Yorkers that did it. But on that stage, the president, you know, um, it was one of the most special moments of my life. No, you, your speech was pretty special too. Um, it's like 27 minutes, so I can't go through the whole thing. <laughs> YouTube it, it's out there, but there is a quote from there. And I think it, it was towards the end. Um, you were just talking about how the threats to our nation uh, will never sleep. They're never going to stop. And um, uh, Obviously, you, you still have a passion for the armed forces and so this is, I'm going to quote it now. Okay. So bear with me. Our military should not be mistaken for a cable news gab fest show. We don't care what you look like. We don't care who you voted for, who you worship, what you worship, who you love. It doesn't matter if your dad left you millions when he died, or if you knew who your father was, we have been honed into a machine of lethal moving parts. that It would be wise to avoid if you knew what's good for you. We will not be intimidated. We will not back down. We've seen war. We don't want war. But if you want war with the United States of America, there's one thing I can promise you, so help me God, someone else will raise your sons and daughters. That's, that's pretty intense. Well, you know, I, I didn't, my intent was not to, um, you know, start a, a, a movement. I, I wasn't certainly trying to make it a jingoistic speech at all. In fact, most of what I was trying to, to say in, in the beginning of it was that, you know, this really isn't about me and, and, and that, you know, when people say, you know, Iraq was the bad war and Afghanistan was the good war and what did your friends die for? I get that all the time. And, and it, it, my friends died for me. I mean, I'm alive because someone decided to take that route and clear it and, and the IED took them out. Um, but that's why I'm here because those men sacrificed for me. So it's a, it's a holy, you know, experience when someone, you know, gives up their life for you to have an opportunity at a future, uh, to, to raise kids. Uh, you know, these are 22 year old men and, and, and they won't ever know. And, and by the way, it's been 15 years. So they would have been 37, you know, getting gray hair, going through these cycles of life. That was really what the intent of the whole speech was. And then, you know, that little piece at the end was just a reminder that, you know, there's a lot of reasons why we're divided and a lot of reasons why people want to put us in different sections. And I'll tell you, it didn't matter if you were from South Central Los Angeles or you were from Lindenville, New York, uh, white, black in between, we are family. It, it is far that, that, that 
bond that you have with men and women. Um, I, I don't really care if you're a Patriots fan or a Bills fan. Um, we're in this together. We're coming home together. And uh, it's just an amazing thing to not only go through it, but now revisit what life is like 15 years after, you know, those battles and fights and see how people have, you know, really kind of grown. And, and maybe at 25, you don't want to tell another man you love him. You're afraid of the way you're perceived. But at 40, you know, we, we care about each other. We love each other. And we're not ashamed to say it. And, uh, you know, it, it, was a, it was a special moment. And I'm, I'm really humbled that, that so many people were, were touched by those words. So hearing what you just said, what, why did you decide against NY27 this time? Why, do you, why did you decide not to run for Congress? And I think anyone that knows anything knows you would have, this, this is your seat if you want it. You know, I, I just, um, I, I find that, uh, I, I just think that we, we have to keep ourselves constantly centered. And, and there's uh, sometimes when you, you read your, if you think you're as smart as your, your report card, you're, you're in for a world of hurt. And I think a lot of people were just assuming that because I'd, I'd run for almost, I mean, it'd been 10 years, uh, Chris Lee, and then it was the, the, the Corwin uh, race. And then it, it became, you know, the Collins primary. And it just became like, well, if, if there's, you know, he's, He's got to, maybe he'd want to be a state senator. Maybe he'd want to be in a, maybe there's a consolation prize. If we're running for office because we need to run for office, then we're doing it for the wrong reasons. If we're serving for ourselves or our Wikipedia page or to add something to our legacy, that's what's wrong with politics. We should be doing it because it's an extension of service. And the thing that I, if nobody said, you know, uh, this is yours. Any, any, and anyone will get out of this race if you decide you want it. That to me was the number one reason why I should never ever think about doing it. Because once they set you up in that pattern, uh, to me, it, you take all this goodwill and all the things that you've been doing around the country and all the people I've been talking to, and I'm like, America's worth it. We're worth it. That This is why we serve. And then the first thing I do is say, but I'm going to run for Congress and I'll see you in Washington. <laughs> you know, um, it, why are you doing it? What is the point of why you're doing it? Why, what are you compelled to do? What are you going to, how are you going to bring people together? This time we're, we're, we're super uh, partisan. And I just find that the more I, I, I pursued that road, the more I realized that the only reason why I was doing it was because I had the medal of honor and the actions that I, that were performed in 2004 when I was up against Chris Lee and it happened. I don't know if, you know, did they not believe it or did they not care about it, but it happened then it didn't seem to matter. Why should it matter now that 180 million people, you know, saw you on TV getting an award. I, I just thought that it's not, it's beneath the dignity of, of why I served my country. And, and I thought it was, it was being done for the wrong reasons. Um, and it just, it didn't feel right. So as unpopular and, and, and trust me, you know, when you, when you get your teeth kicked in and you lose and, and, you know, you get beat by a guy who gets indicted and all the other stuff that had happened with it, 
man, your ego is involved and you want to be like, no, I'm, I'm better than this guy. And I'm, you beat me and I'm embarrassed by that. And I don't want to be embarrassed. And then you realize, but wait a second, what kind of man are you? I've got children. I've got soldiers that I have to live up to and people that lost their life. I'm not going to, I'm not going to cheapen that. I'm not going to let them down. I'm not going to become what I ran to, for office to, to defeat. And I don't want to be a part of that, that group. So it was a very difficult decision. But once I, I looked in the mirror and I realized that uh, I really didn't have any choice, I had to do the, what I thought was the right thing. Politics today. I mean, obviously, you, you get to talk about it now when, you, when, you, uh, when you're uh, doing your talk show on, uh, on WBEN in, in Buffalo. Uh, so, yeah, you mentioned it. It's partisan. It is... Uh, is it ever going to get back to, I mean, it, 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 it's been a while now. It's a, what, you know, I, I got to tell you, I, I think I, I, I so I, I got out of the radio thing. I went back yeah. um, because of really COVID. Um, you know, there was some things going on at the station that were, everyone talks about all the positive things that happen when you, you know, receive something like this, the attention and everyone thinks you're great. And then of course, but there's a whole other side where, you know, Sometimes, you know, people get jealous and people start to see that there's an opportunity here to exploit and try to, you know, I've talked to more lawyers in the last seven months than I've ever talked to in my entire life. Uh, a lot of people start to, you know, so, so there's an, an ugly side of, of you know, of, of having a little bit of, of notoriety that's not too much fun. But one of the things I've learned in probably the last two weeks is that I don't think I could do radio anymore because what was what I thought was my passionate idea is now automatically looked at as, did you hear what the Medal of Honor guy said? I had a buddy of mine who went on Fox News and it was another recipient, Medal of Honor recipient, and he did an interview and I thought it was funny. And I just, I just put the camera on myself and I just said, this guy said something really funny and I like this guy and he's a funny guy. And within eight hours it, it was on the associated press it was on the wire like a medal of honor guy tells colonel vidman and you know like all of these people it became a story because i was making a comment about it and it it it, it automatically made me realize that you know i've got a this is this is different now and i, I can't treat this like you know, you didn't just bowl a 300 game. People expect you to be different. They expect you to hold yourself to a certain level. And maybe it's inappropriate to talk about Cuomo or, or, or you know, Collins or any of these other folks because it's going to be misconstrued as the award making comments about that. I, I thought I could maybe sneak back in and, you know, maybe time and people would forget about it. But I'm realizing that you know, these are probably things that I'm going to have to give up because I just, I don't think it's fair that, you know, that the award has more weight and somehow my opinion is, is backed by the Medal of Honor. It's, it's uh, again, one of the reasons, it's the reason why I didn't run for office and maybe the radio thing has got to be retired too. Wow. So you're, you're, you're struggling with uh, with it's, it's it's difficult, huh? So here's another thing you have, not that you haven't no, had to overcome. Because we're either who we say we are, 
and we either have a, a you know some sort of, of of foundation of you know i'll never forget when one of the things that i learned from from sergeant major falkenberg was that the building block of competency is character and it, it doesn't matter how good you are at anything if you're a jerk nobody wants to find out you know if if you're one of those people that you know, you just aren't a reliable person. No one is ever going to find out why your what your subject matter expertise is. So you can have all the gifts in the world, but if you're not consistent and you're not representing what you say and backing it up with acts, then it's really you know you're just an actor. You're just one of those people that that you know. So so how I'm perceived used to be really important to me. I mean, I would hate if you know. If someone I read somewhere that someone thought I said something or someone hated me, it bothered me. And now, after this, I mean, you just you can't help it. You you wake up and you put something around your neck, and fifty percent of the people hate you, and fifty percent of the people think you're great, and you have no control over it. So why bother feeding into this at this time with President Trump and everyone else? I mean, Trump doesn't make it easy. Everyone is constantly bashing, and I used to be a, a proud gladiator, and I loved that I was, you know, waving my sword, and I was a part of that fight. And now I look at it and think, man, I could be doing so much more. I could be doing so much more that actually means something, and and, and as a part of, um, you know, healing than than I am than I that I was, you know, in the old days. I respect that. And when you say so much more, are you talking about? Uh, recruiting, um, helping veterans. Uh. Yeah, look, I mean, we've got we've got people right now, especially with with the uh, pandemic, that are home, and you know, they maybe they went to support groups, or maybe they're used to just going down to the local VFW, talking to folks, and and they're cut off from that support, and and they need, you know, we have to remind people that there's a lot of folks out there that that need interaction, they need people, and whether they're a veteran or they're a first responder, whatever they are you know, these things manifest. If you don't talk about them, if you don't have a, a network where you can discuss these things that you went through with people that understand it, you know, it, 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 it's like, it'll corrode you. It, it'll hollow you out. And once you get to the point where you, you, um, you don't feel like there's anyone there, that's when, you know, we start to lose these guys. And, you know, to go through all the things that some of these men and women have gone through and then ultimately make a decision to self-harm. It's it's so it's so reckless and it's so absolutely a waste of just just to take five minutes and tell someone that you care about them and that you love them and why you're important, why you mean something, why you have worth. You know, our jobs become our validation. It's how we're validated. What are you? Who are you? Well, I'm a, I'm a lawyer, I'm a chef, I'm a soldier. And every day I wake up, I have a purpose. And I, I live that, I wear the uniform and everyone knows that David is a soldier. And that gives me my, my validation. And when I take that off, no one knows what I am. And no one knows what my purpose is. And we have to remind each other that you're more than your job. Your validation comes with, with, with who you are and what you represent. And, and, you know, just taking five minutes to pick up the phone and saying, hey, man, I, I'm thinking about you. Remember that time you did this? I really appreciate you still being in my life. Could you call me next week? You know, um, I've talked to people that, you know, are just 
they're done. They're, they, they're checked out. And sometimes you get to the point where you're like, kill yourself tomorrow. Just give me one day. Do it tomorrow. Don't do it right now. Give yourself until the morning and then make your decision. And you find out that if you could just constantly push it off, we have a chance to get to this person and, 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 and let them get on a path of, of healing and, 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 and remove that scar tissue. And that's, that's more important to me than, than being Speaker of the House or, or running for Senate. And, and uh, because honestly, in one of those guys that makes a decision to live, to take that risk, to be brave enough to live, that guy might be a congressman. That guy might end up, you know, becoming the next uh, general manager of the Buffalo Bills. Who knows? But, but um, that's, that's worthy of my time. And that, that's worthy of all of our time. That's awesome. I, uh, it, I lost my brother-in-law to suicide about 10 years ago. He, he, he did not serve. But um, so what you are saying really resonates with me personally, because my wife was saying, you know, it was her brother. And in the last two years, you know, it's taken her a long time. I mean, you never recover, right? No. Uh, but she's really taken it upon herself to actually learn how his death, losing her brother has made her a better person because now, and so she's educating me. So we're learning so much more about mental health and what you said about waiting till tomorrow. That's her whole thing is you don't know what people are going through. You may not know that person, but you can tell something's up. That's right. Just olive branch it. Just, just say That's one it. thing and it could, it could, and it's a great point and it's a domino. If I could change their life, it could save them. It could, uh, you know, uh, lead to amazing things with that, what that person does. You just don't know. And uh, reaching out to somebody. Um, yeah. It, you're, it, you're, it's such a, it's such a, a weird phenomenon to be able to hang out with all these older Medal of Honor recipients. You're literally looking at what you are going to be when you're 80 years old. Right. It's, it's, it's like everywhere you go, you're at your own funeral. They all talk about you in the past tense. They all talk about, you know, the things that you've done in the past tense. They don't talk about who you are now or what you're going to do. They talk about the great things you did. And now I'm looking at these 85-year-old men that are all iconic, great American heroes, but you start to see this is, this is, who, this is what I'm going to end up being. And, you know, some of it's great. Some of it's not so great. You know, some of these guys are just like enough. I just let someone else get talked about. I, I, you know, these guys have dealt with this for 50 years. And when you, when you look at those, you know, the, those families, you know, the, the, the folks that get left behind with, with suicide, it's like, I know for a fact, if your son could, could he, he wouldn't have done it. He wouldn't have done it. Knowing what, what this is doing to you, he was temporarily lost. And so we have to keep our radar out and we have to constantly just monitor who's around us and, and what their disposition is. And, and you know what? It could be you. You, you literally could, could lose your job and, and, and whatever you have your self-worth and your, your confidence, that could all be taken away from you. Who's going to be there for you? You know, does someone love you enough like you claim to love them? And so to me, it's all about educating what a real man is. You know, it's not about crushing down doors. It's not about violence. That doesn't make you an alpha. Making you an alpha is being able to say, 
I will handle whatever you tell me. I, my shoulders are big enough and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love you enough to, to, to allow you to, to talk to me. And I'm only asking that if you could be there one day when I need to talk to you. If I can get that RSVP for when I'm feeling like I don't want to be here, if you promise me that you'll be there for me too, it's no different than kicking down the door. I would have done anything to get to a guy I love. They would have done anything to get to me. Just because I'm 44 and I'm in Buffalo doesn't mean that I'm any less special. Um, you know, we don't leave anyone behind, especially people that are hurting. And uh, we just have to redefine what it is to love, to show empathy, and, 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 to, and to really realize that we have a responsibility to take care of our, our friends that are, that are struggling. Are you going to write another book? I'm actually working on it right now. Hmm. I'm, I'm it's um, in a lot of ways it's uh, it's crazy because you know when you do a follow-on book, everyone. Yeah, I didn't. I, didn't, I left this one out. <laughs> there was a basement. I didn't tell you. There's 20 guys in there. Like you don't you don't want to make it look like you've gone to you know the, the valor of trying to make you look like you're. David, I think you're. Did you hit your phone? Your. Uh, what was that? Oh, there you go. Your audio is back. We lost your audio. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I just, okay. someone, I had another. Uh, ah, that's what happened. Yeah. Well, we are practicing social distancing. So technically. All right, is that better? Yeah. Oh, you're good. You're okay. good. So you're, gonna, you're, of, you're talking the about things, the book. Yeah. With, with, a, with this new book, it's, um, this first year has been, you know, pretty crazy, but I didn't talk to a lot of these guys for 15 years and this award brought us all back together and it has been the blessing of a lifetime to be able to have my brothers and, and my friends back. And, you know, there was a lot of reasons why, you know, life takes you different directions. And when you're, you're kind of all that's gone now. And it's like, we're, we're a family again. And that family is, is really special to me. So um, being able to follow their journey and, and our journey, how it all kind of came together with this award and, and how selfless they were to you. I mean, look, this is me. But when your friends are doing great things, sometimes it takes a little bit of you to say, you know, I'm proud of you. But, you know, at the same time, I'd like good things to happen to me too. It, it, it's a tremendous amount of selflessness to be able to say to a, a friend that is getting attention I'm proud of you and I love you. And these guys have every step of the way been like, we're with you a hundred percent. And we appreciate you trying to bring us along the journey, but they've shown a, a tremendous amount of selflessness by just being there for me, being there with me. And, uh, you know, all I got to do was take them to a couple Super Bowl, you know, the Super Bowl or a sports game. You know, we, we, we go out together on the road again. It's pretty fun. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like you're, you know, so I will not ask you to play word association. Uh, I will not bring up things like Nancy Pelosi or Donald Trump. We'll, we'll stay away from that. Um, it sounds like you're, 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 you're a deep thinker. You're a very passionate person. Um, and I, I, I think I get where you're going. I, I, I appreciate the way you're thinking and, and um, how you, you're trying to help. You're trying to help people in any way you can. One of the things that we look for, obviously, we're, we're doing this podcast and helping to inspire 
anything we can do for for people like you had said there's a, there's some people struggling right now with this with this it's, it is a pandemic we've never been through it before so mentally it's very difficult um you've been through so much in your life you and your family have overcome your uh your father a husband um can you just wrap it up with 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 some sort of inspiration to as as a leader because you're a leader and so uh, leaders are positive. Positivity leads to good things. Is there something that you can say to somebody that might be listening and going through some tough times um, that, that can help, help them through this situation? You know, it's, it's just, um, you know, the, there's so many different facets. You know, 9-11 affected so many people's lives, but it really didn't directly affect Many people, unless you were in Pennsylvania or in you know downtown New York, uh, that you were constantly reminded of what 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 happened on September 11th. This is different, and this has hit every aspect, every community in the in the country. And you know, some people lost their their jobs, or some people are are home and 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 just don't are restless. They don't know what to do, and some people are are afraid of of fighting disease and and going through all that. And I I just want to remind folks that there are so many reasons um, why we can and I'm sorry okay sorry about that that's I'm okay. getting a phone call um, that's another thing your phone rings a lot when you but uh, but I, I just think that there uh, there's so, there's so much opportunity in our communities where we can just you know do responsible things and just constantly try to make things better in the sense that um, I'm a conservative. Um, I'm a Bills fan. I'm a Christian. Um, because you disagree with me, you're not the enemy. And I, I, I don't think there's any place for us to constantly remind each other why we're different. Rather, we're going through this together. Um, help me, educate me, share with me, care enough about me to treat me like an equal. And I will do my best to treat you like an equal. And together, um, I think not only are we going to get through COVID, I really think we're going to be a better country because of this. I think we're going to be a better society. I think we're going to have better relationships. A guy like Darius Pridgen uh, in Buffalo, I, he's one of my favorite people in this world. I, I don't even know if there's a, a single thing politically we agree on. I don't care. We don't talk about it. He's a man of God. He's out there every day with the community. Um, he's a beautiful human being. And if Darius Pridgen needed anything, I'm there on day one. I, I used to constantly go on the radio and attack Byron Brown. And one day, Mayor Brown calls me up and he's like, hey, I'm working on this thing for veterans. And I'm thinking, well, of course I want to be there for you. I wasted so much of my time reminding people why you should agree with me and not agree with the other guy. And now with this and everything else that's happening around us, I, I just, I'm, I feel foolish that I was, you know, f wasting so much effort and time trying to, to remind you why you're different than everyone else. Then rather than saying, you know, there's so much beautiful that's here about America. We, we, we go to war and then we rebuild our enemies. No other country in the world does that. Japan is what Japan is because we bombed them and then we rebuilt them. We are constantly showing heart and compassion. And, and, and this experience is going to be no different than that. Let's get stronger. Let's be better. And 
let's just stop constantly reminding folks why we're different and focus on why we're, we're similar. David Bellavia, does, by the way, does Tim Wanger know that uh, you're saying radio is, is, is old news? Have, have you you know, I, I don't, I, it's, to me, it's not that, that radio is what's dead. Mm -hmm. To me, it's the type of radio that I don't want to do anymore. You don't want to do, oh, you turned your mic off. I lost your audio. I'm sorry. You're back. I don't, it's the type of radio and, 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 the, and the shock factor or the fact that, you know, you've got to say something witty and smart and, and, and try to tiptoe on raindrops to try to constantly innuendo. What are you really saying? I mean, what's, what's wrong with just, I don't know, just not being that guy. It's tough because that's your brand. That's, that's why right. people like, that's why people turn you on. And all of a sudden you're like, well, I just want to be like bringing, maybe people don't like that. Maybe sponsors don't like that. I don't know. I'm going to try it. Uh, I don't, I think, I think we have to be better. And are good for you. You're, you're, you're breaking up a, a little bit. I, uh, I'm going to, we need to talk. I've got right. some ideas like for that. you. you and I, we, we, first of all, you set another record. It's the longest sidewalk talk podcast in history. Of course, we just there started doing go. it, but you have a long, and I appreciate you giving me all that time because I know that's not what we, we, we had talked about. I, and your insight is certainly valuable, certainly inspiration, obviously your story, and, and, but, but to me, and, and it's great. And, and I understand the, the difficulties you're having in, in dealing with some of that uh, some of the notoriety, but no matter what, yeah, what you did is, is never going to go away. And we're all grateful to you for that. Uh, but I'm very grateful for the way you're thinking right now and the way you want to help not just veterans, uh, but anybody that is struggling it says a lot about you, the man, the person. And, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And I'm grateful for you giving the time uh, for us on this episode of Sidewalk Talk. Really am. I'm proud that you're from Western New York. Well, thanks, Steve. You're very kind to me, and I appreciate that. I appreciate you doing this, and uh, it takes a tremendous amount of work. And thank you for for uh, for for just sharing and constantly getting out there. And and uh, you know, Western New York is a really special area, and I think we get you know a bad rap because of weather and everything else. But uh, we have a lot to be proud of, and it's not just the residents, but just the culture and the people. And you know, we don't have problems like other areas have because we don't allow those problems to, to, to grow and manifest. We, we do a pretty good job of policing and curbing a lot of the things that make other areas rough. Uh, I'm proud. You should, we all should be proud of being from Western New York and we have a lot of veterans and a lot of great people. And uh, yeah, this is a good town and, and there's nothing wrong with, with, with wanting to stay here either. You know, everyone's That's spent right. so long, like let's get out to LA. Let's get out to New York. I want to be, I want to be here. I want to be here forever. I don't, I don't care about the city and LA and London and all that other stuff. We, we want to be here because this is where we were raised and this is where we want to die. Well, we want you to be here too, you and your family. The best of luck to you. Stay safe. Thank you, Thank you again for everything you've done and the things that you continue to do. David Bellavia was our guest on Sidewalk Talk. You can download all of our Sidewalk Talk podcasts 
on your podcast platform of choice. You can also watch all of our podcasts uh, by visiting our website, shovelthesidewalk.com. If you or someone you know has a story of inspiration, information, education that, that we can share, uh, let us know by completing a simple form on our site. So thanks again, David. Thanks to you for listening, watching, participating. I'm Steve Fortunato, and this has been Sidewalk Talk.